I'm hot for teacher. We thought we were done. We thought we were finished. We thought we would never talk about a movie minute by minute again. But we were wrong. Join us as we get to know the cast next door. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of The Cast Next Door. I am your editor slash producer slash host for this episode, Darren. And with me today um, is one of the guests from this week's episodes. They were hosted by Clint, who once again did a great job. And Zach was a wonderful guest. And with me today is the other guest, Dre Holland. Hello, Dre. That's me. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Um, Now, the minutes that you covered... Uh, which have just gone up, uh, concern the end of the sex scene. The thing that I think sold the film to most people in the trailers was, you know, J-Lo and this um, child who's definitely not a child, as they emphasize a number of times. He's 19. He's an adult. Getting it on. Um, you caught the end of that. And then you got a lot of uh, Claire Peterson regretting hooking up with a 19-year-old kid who lives next door. <laughs> Um, you know, putting on her underwear, trying to get out of there before breakfast uh, on couch, I think is how Clint dis- described it, is served to her. Um, this obviously angers Noah, who for the first time in the film s- kind of drops his facade a little, punches the wall, and then uh, Claire fixes his fist, um, which sounds like an unfortunate phrase, uh, before she finally escapes back home to the drudgery of her housewife life, uh, which at this point involves cooking some fish that her two men have brought home. And they kind of make fun of her a little bit for baking stuff, <laughs> which uh, I think at this point Garrett and Kevin should, you know, watch their step because Kevin is allergic to everything and Garrett is trying to get back into his good books with his wife. So I think making fun of her cooking isn't really a good start. Um, so, Dre, was there anything from those minutes that you wanted to touch upon? Well, only just the continuing problem of the fact that it's true that the sex scene is why the movie exists and also the funny thing that the movie wants to do which is that we're supposed to be we're supposed to think it's a little bit dirty that she's having sex with this high school student but at the same time they the movie wants you to think it's okay because he's definitely 19 and he's also definitely played by 27 year old man or whatever uh yeah this like kind of this issue of um this is something i've spoken to a few guests about and like the i think the closest film that kind of exists that actually kind of uh crossed the line and did a similar thing is a film called notes on the scandal where kate blanchett is a teacher who does have sex with an underage student um and in that film she's in a loveless marriage and judy dench is a predatory lesbian um and like i and maybe it's just because it was set in britain they kind of you know they they kind of emphasized the illegality of it a little more whereas in this film they are so at pains to point out he is 19 and i think before we get to this minute it's said at least two or three times um and it, it's a, it's really weird because 
I think the film is sold on the idea of crossing that line of like, you know, a, a teacher and a, a student, um, which, by the way, at this point in the film, he's not her student. He's just the boy next door, as the title of the film says. Like, so he's not a student for another, I think, five or six minutes. Um, right. But and still. And, and they also, you know, they want you to spend a really long time looking at his body. So it's almost like they're saying it to the audience. They're not just saying it to the character. They're like, it's okay for you to look at Ryan Guzman through the window because he's totally of age, but he's super young, but he can still do it. Uh, on a couple of uh, these bonus episodes, I've said that there's a, there's a the scene where um, they, which is just before the start of the sex scene where they've made the chicken and the chicken was terrible uh, and J-Lo says as much. And then um, Noah begins his seduction by telling Jennifer Lopez, one of the most beautiful women to have ever existed. Has anyone ever told you you're beautiful? To me, those lines are not directed at Claire. They're directed at the audience. They're like, here is this young, hot man sitting in front of you. And he just wants you to know you're beautiful. Right. It's like... You raised, you know, you raised a child, you work hard, you, you know, you have a job and you also cook fish, even though it's not in a shovel and your husband doesn't appreciate it, you know, and, and yeah, they build up all this stuff and it doesn't matter if you, if you don't look like, um, if you don't look like Jennifer Lopez, some, you know, some hot young thing is going to want to bang you. But I guess we, I mean, are we supposed to think that the consequences are really bad? Like we shouldn't want that it's yeah it's it's weird maybe maybe we're analyzing this movie or, or trying to give it too much brain um trying to give it too much yeah brain. i think i think when you're in a minute by minute podcast talking about the boy next door does can never be too much analyzing <laughs> that's of the film. true that's true I, I tried to give it like a lynchian uh once over in one of the minutes <laughs> but i'm just just working with yeah, what i've got the, the thing that concerns me speaking more broadly about the film the thing that concerns me and that i've spoken to a number of people about is how much planning has noah put into this moment and i think clint also kind of touched upon it a little bit like he seems to i mean later on in the film we find out he has got photographs of claire from this tryst uh, which might explain why he keeps it downstairs because that's where the cameras are set up or I don't know like because they never go to his bedroom um, uh, and he makes her sleep on the couch which uh, which I hadn't really thought about until it was pointed out in these minutes but it is really funny um, that he kind of goes to the trouble of getting you know seducing Claire bringing her over with that stupid chicken excuse and then he just like leaves her on the couch and goes to bed and uh, uh, like... You know, later in the movie, he seems to be like enjoying creeping her out. You know what I mean? So it's like he's just kind of having fun with freaking her out. So was his plan ever to like be in a relationship with her and seduce her so they could be together? Or was it always like, I can't wait to like freak out this middle-aged woman? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. My, my question is like, before we see Noah, how long has he been there? Because um, I, I don't think the film kind of goes into that too much, but there's an implication to me that when we see Noah arrive, he's been there for maybe a few days. Maybe he's noticed Claire alone in the house and that is why he he kind of sets about doing this plan of seducing her and then of course the bad date is like a variable that he couldn't plan for so you know like uh, in my mind he sees claire come home from this bad date he realizes she's alone in the house 
because obviously Kevin has, you know, already said that him and his dad are going to Mammoth Lakes. So he then kind of pounces on this opportunity, throws a chicken into the microwave and then calls her up like with the excuse of, oh, this chicken, it didn't work out. And that's like the way he gets her to come over. Well, and it Um, seems to be his like so much his sole focus that, you know, when they go to we've been to the hardware store already, right? I'm, we're only 30 yeah, minutes yeah. into the movie but yeah so he, he's gone yeah. to the hardware store he's uh ostensibly helped um her son like meet a girl but he's clearly also seducing the girl for himself like that's all like in that yeah. hardware store scene so is he thinking yeah. like here's what i'll do i'm totally gonna fuck over this family by getting this you know teenage girl to be super into me uh, like hypothetically she's underage right so he's you know he wants her to get yeah. really into him so that he can mess with the family more like claire's going to be really upset when i you know have sex with this teenage girl in the window for her to see it was all so well orchestrated <laughs> but but also um uh, a nice touch during that scene is he he makes um ali callahan keep like the crown on so that uh, Claire will recognize her or the audience will recognize her. I don't know because I don't like I because Claire's like a chaperone in that dance, isn't she? So because um, she goes into the toilets and sees the graffiti. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I don't know because I don't know, like, what the point of the whole Ali storyline is. So I, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to have sex with Ali, and he he kind of told her it was part of this elaborate scheme, and she just went along with it. It's just very spiteful, very spiteful. I mean, Kevin never did anything. I mean, it's like I'm going to take revenge on you because your mom doesn't want to. What I don't know. And I've I've said a few times now, like, was Noah's long term plan to like marry Claire and become Kevin's stepdad, like? The important thing is during the minutes that you were on, you got the kind of Claire rejecting Noah the morning after. And that, I think, is, as Zach pointed out, you know, it's the end of Act One where, like, Noah has, uh, you know, had sex with Claire. And then Act Two is Noah being rejected and how he copes with that. But I don't know why she just doesn't let Noah serve her breakfast in bed Uh and and then go <laughs> like, no, I was, I was what, like, you were thinking that too he was kind of a nice you know gentleman she could always brush him off later um but i guess yeah but it, you know it's something that a lot of people have talked about she's so freaked out before she should be in the plot you know like she yeah. knows where the movie's going and that's how she's behaving um you know, it's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like Labor Day. Did you ever watch Labor Day? I saw Labor Day at the cinema. Okay, um, so it, it's like yeah, it's like that. It's like the characters can hear the music, um, you know, that's that's on the soundtrack, telling them that something scary is going to happen. Um, she she's like yeah. That. So yeah, she could have just you know enjoyed her orange juice and felt awkward, and then she could have had that conversation another time. You know, but my favorite thing in the minutes that you covered, though, is the bit of business that J-Lo does uh, with the knickers where she like picks them up and is like, who are these? And then she's like, oh, whether they're mine. And then she just like puts them on. But for that kind of like two seconds, it does seem like she has forgotten everything, like (laughs) like who she's meant to be uh, and where she is. And she just kind of so I can only I can only assume that sex with Noah is so good it makes you forget that the underwear right next to your feet is your own underwear um 
And, you know, that's got to be an endorsement of something. Those those um, panties were just a symbol of her shame, I guess. She looks at, that's the way she looks at them. Like, they're so significant. Like, my God, these, pa- these panties, <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't look at myself in the mirror. I got to look at myself in these panties. As she gets up off the sofa, she kind of like picks her bra up as well. And I have to say, for a woman who had been on a bad day and was lazing at home, like, uh, you know, in um, in her kind of like oversized, like nighty that she has worn a few times now, uh, she was wearing some very nice looking underwear for someone who is just sitting at home drinking wine and, and eating cookies. Um, but I guess that's just how... You know, Claire Peterson rolls. She, you know, always looks ridiculously beautiful. So, Well, as the audience uh, surrogate that she is, you know, all women with teenage sons just hang out in their lacy <laughs> panties and, and look great. And they look really toned, even though they're not going to the gym every day. But, you know. They eat a plate of cookies or they start to eat a plate of cookies, should I say. And then they cover it up and then they put the cookies to one side and then they open. Then they get the plate up again and sniff one of the cookies, which, again, is a really weird uh, bit of business uh, that JLo does. Both of them are so bad at acting. Both of our leads, I find. But it, they're so bad that I find it charming. It's kind of like when you and your friends made a movie in high school and... Um, you know, it, you're, you're just being yourselves. You're not really acting. At least I was never any good at acting, but it's, it's kind of endearing. I also, I've seen, I really like the step up movies. I'm going to admit right now. Um, okay. And so, I mean, they're so dumb and wonderful and, and Ryan Guzman. But that means you were familiar with the work of the Guzman before this film. Yes. Yeah. He can, you know, um, he can lift up a woman to have sex against a wall anytime he wants. Um, <laughs> but he, um, no, he's delightfully bad at acting. I find it charming. Um, but yeah, they, they're not great. They're not great. It's funny because, um, you know, you have uh, Ryan Guzman, who obviously from the Step Up series we know is a dancer. And you have J-Lo and Kristen Chenoweth, who we know from their previous careers are singers uh, and Chenoweth in particular is like a Broadway singer. Um, so it's kind of disappointing that at no point during the film there is like, no, there's no song or dance number. Like no one does any singing and dancing. Uh, because I feel that would have, that would have taken this film to the next level if halfway through all of a sudden, you know, like Ryan is dancing about his feelings for Claire. Um, kind of like in a Kevin Bacon in Footloose Angry Dance type thing. <clears throat> oh, or um, or the Flight of the Concords Angry Dance. I got to give some New Zealand props. <laughs> you just have to yeah. squeak it in. Yeah, <laughs> yes, which of course is just a parody of the Kevin Bacon Angry Dancing. But like any Angry Dancing would have been great. That's you such know, a like, satisfying if, I mean, thing to watch. Yeah, no, I'd I'd watch him Angry yeah. Dance. Also, I mean, they could have thrown a karaoke scene in here easily. That is what I said. I said if they'd have gone to the bad day and it had been at a karaoke bar. And we'd have opened, you know, on, um, you know, Kristen Chenoweth just banging out a number. That would have been like a great opening to that scene. You know, and I will say that he does the kind of, you know, when he punches the wall. And I mean, and he was good in the sex scene. Maybe You know what? I liked this movie. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. <laughs> like when he, because you know what? Uh, just side as a sideline. This completely reminds me of the movies that I would watch when I was homesick from school like uh as a child so you know and they're like a little bit kind of i shouldn't be watching them but um a little inappropriate but you know also kind of harmless and um yeah you know they'd be on like lifetime television um 
And yeah, so he plays the petulant guy really well in the scene after the sex scene. Um, yeah. You're just like, why don't you like me? Um, <laughs> and and so in that moment, I, like, I believe that character, you know? So it's it's like their acting is good enough for this movie. Obviously, like the script essentially just calls for him to look good naked. Um, but I think he kind of, he brings a certain level of charm, like when he's introduced, you know, and obviously Kevin is kind of looking up to him wide eyed, like until we get to kind of like the seduction. And then like after that, I think he's, you know, he's quite charming. I, you know, even if he doesn't fully have the chops to kind of carry off what the material wants him to do, but you know, uh, as, as far as an actor goes, he's charming. And obviously Jennifer Lopez is like ridiculously charismatic. Like even when she's just on camera doing nothing. I feel like Ryan Guzman enters every movie that he's in just being like, Oh, Hey, like that's just how he enters. <laughs> that's that's how he enters this movie too. Just like, Oh, Hey, it's me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm attractive. Hey, yeah. I don't know. I, if you, I don't know if you're aware. And the funny thing is, of course, in this film, his bicep enters before the rest of his body. Oh, right. Because he's, like, holding up the... Ga- like, he sees J-Lo struggling with the door, and he just holds up the garage door with one arm. So, I mean, uh, ha- so have you seen any other Jennifer Lopez films, would you say? or um... I have seen Monster-in-Law. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is a terrible film. Um, and I watched it because it's terrible. Um <laughs> And, and yeah. but that was many that was many years ago. I don't know when that film came out. Maybe two thousand six. That was ten years ago. Now that was two thousand five. Okay. That that Monster in Law came out. That was I think the final film before Jennifer Lopez had one of her children. If you could, if you made a movie where Ryan Guzman like is still out to find her, um, <laughs> for instance, like he. You know, he he still goes to find her. That would be a full-blown horror movie at that point because now he's this, like, sociopath with a vengeance. Um, and an so... eye patch as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a sexy eye patch. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, you could you could make that movie. Yeah, I think they kind of they missed an opportunity to have like a post credit scene, uh, you know, kind of like the end of Carrie. Spoiler alert for the end of Carrie, where like a hand shoots out of a grave or something, like where you st- where you, where you're in the ambulance and you see Ryan Guzman open his one good eye. Um, you know, they, they kind of hinted that he's still alive and had and and set themselves up for a sequel. Uh, but I guess that uh, I, I mean I say you know they probably didn't see the success of this film coming, but it was made by Jason Blum, who uh, you know made his fame producing Paranormal Activity and a number of other kind of like small horror film franchises like you know Insidious and Conjuring and stuff like that. So uh, I'm surprised actually he didn't leave like a sequel hook in there somewhere. He knows his, it's okay. Ryan Guzman can just reform himself out of liquid metal like the Terminator <laughs> too. Um, no, but <laughs> they they'll find a way. There's always a way. But you know, if the I, I, here's the thing: if the if there were either a way of bringing Ryan Guzman back, or if they just kind of turn this into a genre in itself, uh, kind of like they did with uh, you know um, the American Pie films, where they just put the word American Pie in front of it and just had a bunch of people playing teens. Uh, if there's a way for them to franchise this, I would eagerly await the next installment because this, if they can make it as kind of fun as this film, 
uh, then it would certainly be worth watching. Sure. I have some sick days coming up next year. Um, <laughs> I can stay home from work and watch the sequels. Uh, thank you very much, Dre, for joining me here on this bonus episode and talking about the film more generally. Thank you. It was fun. And, uh, you know, you can follow us on First Ed Iliad and uh, on Twitter. And you can like us on Facebook and find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or generally anything where you can hear podcasts. Uh, I have been Darren. And I'm Dre. Uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. This is a first edition?